Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I have been looking forward to this all week. It's only Tuesday, but I've been looking forward to it since Monday. So I'm doing pretty well now that we're saddled in. Uh, I hope everyone out there is as excited as I am for this episode. And I hope you are feeling well. How are you? You feeling weird enough? (laughs) I'm feeling very weird for this episode of Weird Space. This is our second edition. We did one that aired on June 5th, 2022. So you want to go check that one out. It was really fun. Um, The people on social media seem to really like it. We got a comment here from SquirrelyGirl83 on YouTube. She says, I really enjoyed this episode. A big part of why I'm a crawlspace slash missing fan is the banter and chemistry between Tim and Lance. Hearing them talk on lighter subject matter is always a treat. Hoping to see more of these. Well, here you go, SquirrelyGirl. We're back. (laughs) That's got to be a t-shirt. Here you go, SquirrelyGirl. Uh, it's fun. You know, it, it is fun to do this. Um, I particularly like the no bullet point format where we roll with things. One thing leads us to the other and we don't really know the direction in which we're going. We just strap in and let it, uh, take us along. We're, we're along for the ride. Like everyone else. We just have some, uh, some, some light guidelines. We look up these weird stories, these fun stories, sometimes spooky, sometimes heartwarming like today, and sometimes just like what type stories. So, uh, you want to just get rolling with an update from the last one? Absolutely. Let's get right into it. We ha- we do have an update for one of the stories that we spoke about last time. It was about these passengers on an airplane set to take off that received images of plane crashes, cr- uh, crashes that had actually happened where people died. And a lot of passengers on this flight received these images and uh, the, the flight did not take off. They thought maybe there was a security risk. Turns out they actually arrested nine suspects after these photos were sent. And you and I went on a little bit of a theory, uh, went down a little bit of a theory rabbit hole. And I think we both came to the uh, conclusion, our personal conclusion, that those who sent these images had to have worked on the plane. They had to have been either the flight attendants or the pilots or both. But we said inside job. Absolutely. Turns out we were wrong. We were wrong. Yes, we were wrong. (laughs) And it was like the next day. So we were referencing articles from May 10th. And there's an article now from Complex.com that was published on May 11th. So they arrested nine individuals, I guess, while we were recording the episode. Uh, I guess so. It must have been because of us. Yeah, they they felt the media pressure. It felt the it felt the the pressure of the media. Yet they were like, we don't want to we don't want to be responsible for anything uh, going wrong here. It's been on Weird Space episode one, and <laughs> they really um they really buckled down. Uh, they turns did. out that these uh, suspects have been identified as Israeli citizens by the authorities. They were arrested, uh, by who were they arrested by, Tim? Well, I would imagine the airport police, I guess, Israeli airport authority. Um, But what I'm confused about is how nine people are responsible for this. Like, how in the world? Like, it it only took probably one of them to to press the button to to have these images sent. Like, how are nine people? And and clearly these are, like, teenage boys, right? Or, like, young 20-year-old. I mean, I would think. 
I don't even want to go down. I don't even want to venture a guess anymore because <laughs> I was time. convinced yeah. that it was an inside job. <laughs> Maybe this was something that they, well, here we go, here I go. I'm t- my brain is telling me <laughs> not to do this. But maybe they were a group of people that wanted to continue doing this. Maybe they wanted to turn this into something that was a continual cyber attack and they just weren't savvy enough to fully bury their identities. And maybe it was obviously it was super easy to find them because they made the arrest pretty much within hours of it happening. Right. Yeah, they were probably giggling. Um, after sending the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to picture them giggling. <laughs> nine of them is so so confusing to me. This uh, article from Complex goes on to say, all nine suspects are being questioned by police, noting the act could be deemed a terrorist threat. Yeah, I, up to three years, apparently. Um, I guess it depends on what they're charged with, but yeah, yeah we will see. Uh, maybe we'll have another update on uh, Weird Space 3. Yeah, Weird Space Three will try to give you another update. Maybe we'll we'll follow the uh, we'll follow the the court case. We'll <laughs> we'll live stream the trial. <laughs> we'll live stream the trial. Now, I want to explore just a quick question: Is this in your head a victimless crime? No, I mean I think that's a it's a real terror threat. I really do because they they caused fear um, in the people on that flight, and I think mm. that's sort of the definition of terrorism. Um, whether they intended that or not, I don't I don't know. It doesn't really matter actually, and they caused delays in the flight. So I don't know what what real world implications those delays had for all those other passengers, but I would be pretty annoyed at these nine uh, folks if I was on that flight. I agree with you. I think this is not a victimless crime. This definitely has affected the passengers that were evacuated from the flight. Like, you'll never be able to take another flight again the same way. Maybe some of them will never fly again because this can have some traumatic uh, ramifications. And we explored this. I can't believe I'm talking about D.B. Cooper again. We explored this a bit when we had our D.B. Cooper episode and how that we thought was a victimless crime because basically no one knew that this was happening on the plane and they found out after the fact. So we were like, is this a victimless crime or is it a victim? Like, are there victims here? Uh, so we had that uh, conversation and I just wanted to ask it in this uh, this case as well because no one died. People were arrested, so it was a crime. Are we considering it victimless? But I agree. Like, I think I, I don't believe it's victimless. No, I don't think so. No. And Lance, one of our stories from this week we have from UPI.com. It is about a Welsh man who drank at 56 pubs in 24 hours. And he is apparently submitting this to the Guinness Book of World Records and uh, trying to acquire that record, I guess. He uh, He looks happy. He looks happy in the picture that is posted of him on UPI.com. Gareth Murphy, he did break that Guinness Book of World Records. And I want to say it is noted that those beverages did not have to be alcoholic beverages. So while he did drink at each pub, he sometimes mixed in a Coke, a cranberry juice, uh, along with his Guinness. Yeah, I'm so unimpressed when I when I got to that part of the Me article. Too. <laughs> it really it really took a lot of the fun out of it. <laughs> I mean, anyone could pretty much do that. You just, it's if more you just of have an time. Yeah, it's more of an endurance test. Like you actually have to do it in a 24 hour period. But really, you could probably do that in like a few hours, couldn't you? I mean, I guess you have to travel to 50 something pubs. But yeah, there's Gareth 
Yeah. <laughs> Who broke the record? I have to say I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous. I'm not that impressed. Um I'm kind of jealous. Uh he did he goes on to say that he lost count of how many toilet breaks he took. At the beginning it was minimal, mm. once every 10 pubs say, but at the end I think I was going every two or three pubs and that was a quote. Uh, spare us, spare us, Gareth. Uh, the the sob story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I wish we could have a. Uh, I can't even fake a debate here. He says the record attempt was quote the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I really, if that's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, buddy, bless you, sir. <laughs> Now, Lance, did you know that I once submitted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records? You do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, please, so... please, though. Don't let me stop you from telling the story. <laughs> so, I want to say it was 2008 or 2009, but there was this there was this tree that produced these weird limes or lemons or whatever, some kind of hybrid, and they were huge. And I thought that they were ju- it was just a strict lime, and I was like, well, you know what? There's no record in the Guinness Book for world's largest lime. I'm going to try to get it in. And so part of that was part of the submission process was getting media um, for your submission. So I, I take it this article might be that media that this fellow Gareth Murphy needs to submit to the Guinness Book of World Records. But I would be so much more impressed if it was alcoholic beverages. Not that I'm promoting that much alcohol consumption. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that you submitted this line. <laughs> I need to go. We need to all go back on this. So you got a little media, a little news article written, right? Yeah, the San Fernando Valley Sun covered it in English and Spanish. Yep. Oh, good. Right. I got a picture in the paper. Yep. So what happened? Well, I got denied because uh, there was no evidence, I guess, that this was actually a lime. And, uh, you know, I was really bullshit at the time. But uh, looking back, I I kind of agree with Guinness Book. Like, this probably wasn't a lime. Like, uh, I don't even know what I was doing. It was probably some kind of, like, like hybrid that, uh, you know, has some definition that I have not looked into at this point and don't really care about. But uh, it, it did not get me into the Guinness Book of World Records, unfortunately. You tried. You checked all the boxes, and my question to you is, was this the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? <laughs> you know what? Not even close, and uh, it was one of the goofiest things I've ever done in my life that I actually spent some energy trying to uh, make happen. Um, it was all really a joke, and uh, no, it was one of the easiest things I've ever done in my life, maybe save for just the effort of uh, you know, getting the article written. We had to get a video done things like that. But it was a fun experience to actually go through the process of submitting to Guinness Book because Guinness Book is something like I used to read as a kid, you know, flip through those pages. And it was just kind of weird to me and mind blowing that people actually went through the process of doing this. And, you know, I guess uh, shout out to Gareth for for going through the process. I guess just most people don't think about it. Exactly. There is a process to get in. And yes, of course, shout out to him. We wouldn't be talking about this we wouldn't be giving our gentle ribbing if we didn't have some level of appreciation and respect for him he does again seem very happy in this picture it looks like he's got half a pint of guinness there and i would love to talk to him i'd love to get him on the show and maybe he can break down each pub and we can do 56 <laughs> episodes with him <laughs> all right well ne- next time That'll be Weird Space Four after uh, after we cover the trial of the uh, the the those nine people. 
Okay, Lance, and uh, and here is another story from UPI.com, and it's about a New Hampshire woman who was reunited with her lost cat after four years. A little bit of a heartwarming story here. This one was sort of a no-brainer when we were doing some research because it is a heartwarming, feel-good story. We are talking about the cat name Gigi. Am I, I'm, I'm assuming G-I-G-I is Gigi. I think so. An 11-year-old tabby cat, and the owner, Casey Monroe, was reunited with her after four years. It was the Salem Animal Rescue League said that they were contacted by a woman who was preparing to leave the state and was concerned for the welfare of a stray cat she'd been feeding on the porch. Turns out that cat had a chip. That's the importance of getting your uh, pets chipped, everybody. That cat had a chip, had the uh, contact information of the owner. I think that the phone number that was connected to the chip didn't work, but they managed to find her in another way, by way of the chip, that they at least had her name, and was reunited with the cat. Could you imagine? I mean, after, after three or four months of your pet being missing, you probably have assumed that they've been hit by a car or have perished in the woods or something. You probably don't have much hope of their return. But four years later, that's when you're almost like on the fence about buying a new pet. You, You might have already bought a new pet. Yeah, how weird. I would love to know what Gigi the cat was doing during those years. Like, why didn't Gigi find his or her way home um, she apparently was living as a stray and being fed by uh, Casey Monroe, you know, on, on the porch or something like that. So she must have she probably knew the cat was, you know, kind of homeless, a stray. But why didn't the cat walk home? Good question. Maybe we can have uh, Gigi on to talk about this and uh, Gigi can meow her way through the, the conversation. I want to actually go back on something I just said. I said bought. Maybe maybe they've bought a new pet. You can also adopt pets. And uh, Gigi had been originally adopted from uh, Nevin's farm in Methuen, Massachusetts. So uh, this family that owned Gigi was apparently into adopting pets. So I don't want to say bought and and say the wrong word there. So, yes, adopted. Such a happy ending to this story. Um, They definitely did not assume Gigi was alive out there. And Lance, I want to share a, a story that happened over here um, just just a couple weeks ago. Can I do one more correction? Please. Gigi is a male cat. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. This, Gigi this the boy. upcoming September would have been five years that he was gone, Monroe wow. told the Eagle Tribune newspaper. I guess I saw Gigi and I just went with she in my head. No, I, I did too, uh, you know, and I, I've got a, a female dog named Brady. So, you know, I kind of like when when uh, that's that's messed around a little bit. Um, but Lance, I want to tell a story about what happened over here just recently. The cat next door, his name is Charlie, and uh, we live next door to uh, my in-laws. And Charlie had been missing for three days, over three days. He had gone out on a Saturday and he's a young cat. He's only like a year old or something like that. And he's got a sister and sometimes they go out and they don't go far and they come back in a few hours. But Charlie didn't return and he was gone for about three and a half, four days. And we're all very sad because this cat is uh, kind of a doofus, but um, hilarious and just very friendly. Turns out he was in an abandoned house through the woods. My father-in-law went out th- uh, out into the woods. He said he heard a very faint 
meowing, which I was listening to myself and I didn't hear, um, you know, every day I was out there and I didn't really go back up into the woods, but he did. And there's a house through the woods that was abandoned. And apparently he was trapped in, uh, in like an area where he couldn't really get out of. And so my father-in-law used a, a wooden plank for him to sort of crawl down from this, this spot in this abandoned house through the woods Meanwhile, he was the, the cat was there for I, I want to say it was very close to four days that he was missing, and he apparently ate uh, two full cans of cat food when he got home, <laughs> and he lost a few pounds. No idea what his experience was like, but as someone who covers missing people, like I was kind of going through like what what to do, like where was he last seen? You know, I I, I had looked up into those woods, assuming he was up there somewhere, um, but not knowing where, you know, and, uh, and his sister had come back a few hours after his disappearance. So it was a real, a real, uh, confusing one. I had heard my in-laws had gone back into the woods. So that's why I didn't do it myself. Um, but Charlie came back happy ending. What a, what a wonderful story. What a wonderful story to debut on, on weird space. Thankfully the cat was returned. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that Charlie was safe and returned and is healthy still. Um, I am very impressed with the fact that you all took on an organized search for the cat. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great that your father-in-law has apparently ears of of some animal that <laughs> hears really well. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't even know there was this abandoned house through the woods. Um, you can't even see it from where from where I am. But he, he knew that that house existed and uh, I guess went right for it. Because what probably happened was maybe the cats encountered, I don't know, a, a fox or, you know, maybe a skunk or something that was chasing them. And Charlie managed to, cause cats can friggin' jump, probably right. went into an area uh, to get away from this other animal that couldn't fit into the area. So, hey, Charlie's a survivor and and was calling out and survived for almost four days. Must be so happy now. Thing must be, must have slept for like two days straight. <laughs> I think so. He wanted to go right back out, apparently, which I think uh, I would have had a, an opposite reaction there. But again, he's kind of yeah. a doofus, a lovable doofus, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's <laughs> let's let's unpack this um, creepy abandoned house in your backyard. <laughs> well, it's through the woods. It's not it's not in on my property or anything. It's just uh, I mean, I've never even seen it. I can't even speak to how creepy it may or may not be. I just think it's uh, dilapidated and uh, empty. Okay, well, you need to go out there with a camera and document the discovery, your personal discovery of this broken down, empty, abandoned home, and we need to talk about it on Weird Space Episode 5 or something. <laughs> okay. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And Lance, our final story here today is about a ghost hunter who believes that he tricked a ghost into uh, into letting letting this fellow uh, photograph him. And this is an article from LADBible.com, written by Dominic Smithers, came out on June 9th, 2022. Headline is, Ghost Hunter Tricks Black Monk of Pontefract into Photo, Leaving Him in Tears of Fear. Upon reading this, you hear about this black monk. That is that's sort of a obviously ominous and and dangerous, right? It sounds dangerous. It sounds like the hands resist him. 
that painting that we covered on empty frames that was painted by Bill Stoneham, and it's allegedly the most haunted painting in the world. And when you look at it, it does instill a little bit of fear, and you can see how one would take something negative with them. But the name isn't really lining up with the reputation that I built up in my own head for this black monk, um, also known, terrifyingly enough, as Fred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this is a house that um has had paranormal activity, I guess, uh poltergeist and and this black monk uh is also known as Mr. Nobody. Um but it is a it's sort of a famous house. It's 30 East Drive in Pontefract and uh is a modest three-bedroom house that was built in the 50s. It apparently has this dark side and sort of has this ghost tourism aspect to it. Well, what did you think about the activity that this Fred, Mr. Nobody, black monk, partakes in when he's haunting people? Apparently he just drops marbles on people. (laughs) Uh, Like he manifests marbles out of the air? I was reading this article from hauntedrooms.co.uk, and they said... One of his favorite activities is he'll manipulate marbles. So sometimes there'll be marbles uh, that will roll across the floor or they say that he'll throw them, but he doesn't really like throw them to harm anybody. And sometimes they just kind of drop out from like as if they fell from the ceiling. Uh, It sounds in a sense like a fun poltergeist and not something that would instill fear in me or cause me to almost have a uh, reaction that will bring me to tears if I see a picture. The picture itself isn't even much evidence that uh, this is a entity caught on film. Right. Yeah. And also this entity or whatever you want to call it um, sort of pulls other pranks too. some involving uh, puddles on the floor where yeah. um, where people can't actually clean them up. Uh, when you go to retrieve a towel or paper towel or, or whatever, there is a new puddle, um, which is kind of a fun gag, I guess. But there are some some creepier ones, too. There's a woman by the name of Diane who is apparently claims to have been grabbed by her long hair and violently dragged backwards up the stairs, kicking and screaming the whole way. Afterwards, the girl was understandably traumatized and she was left with visible finger marks around her throat. No pictures uh, attributed here, but that is from hauntedrooms.co.uk as well, that same article. And that's pretty much the only one that is referenced, right, unless I miss something that describes this ghost, this entity, as being violent. Yeah, apparently some people would be slapped, some... uh, it says some clergymen had their faces slapped or were pushed. So I guess it's kind of on, on one hand, it seems playful. On the other hand, sometimes it's got a, it seems to have to have a temper. Well, I, when I read that about the slapped, I really just thought it was an homage to like the three stooges. (laughs) Just like uh, three stooges meets the ghost. Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) Meets Fred, the ghost. (laughs) Maybe Fred the ghost just knows that he's got this moniker of the black monk and is like, well, I guess occasionally I have to, like, pull someone up the stairs by their hair. (laughs) Now, that sounds really terrifying, being pulled up the stairs. By an invisible entity, by your hair? Yeah. Like, I could see if you fell down the stairs 
accidentally that you might want to blame that on a ghost, but being pulled up the stairs, you can't really, like you didn't fall up the stairs, you know, like really. Yeah. You're not pulling your own hair up. Yeah. Yeah. You can fall while you're walking up the stairs and you know, you can fall up the stairs in that way, but you can't be pulled um, by some invisible entity in that way. It's not how gravity works. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. We'll go into that in Weird Space 6. (laughs) Got a lot of material for the upcoming uh, Weird Space episodes. Now, do you want to break down this picture just a little bit? I do, but first I want to say that the the owners of this house, they apparently, they're aware of all this, you know, activity and they make sure that visitors sign a waiver releasing the owner of the liability and alcohol is forbidden in the house as is the use of Ouija boards and uh, no visitors are able to attempt an exorcism of the property which I feel like you should you probably allow that you'd probably want that but apparently there's some uh, thought that it wouldn't work anyway or it would just cause cause more uh, anger from the entities. And if anyone uh, has any information, more information on this house, please feel free to reach out to us. Do they charge? I don't see anything here about charging. I'm not sure. But this photographer who apparently went into the house and claims to have tricked the monk um, did so recently and did so using a mirror which I, I thought was kind of the, the coolest part of this story. Now, how did he use a mirror to trick the monk? So this ghost hunter fellow named John Paul Newlands from Lincolnshire ventured into this house knowing that it is known to be one of the most haunted houses in the area. And what he did was set up a mirror And this is a quote. He says, I used the mirror as a false sense of security for him, and I caught it that way. So he said he was, he had seen the monk several times, I guess, during his stay, and he set up a mirror to apparently photograph the mirror to, I guess, make the monk think that he didn't care about him. Like, I guess the theory he's, John, John here is working with is if the ghost knows you're trying to take a picture of him, he won't let you. So instead, he was, I assume, had this mirror and was had his phone or his camera up to the mirror pretending to take some boring photo of a mirror. And then that's when the ghost appeared <laughs> through the mirror. In the reflection. And, and when you look at the picture, you can see that uh, there's a Beatles poster in the background. And that is reversed. So this is taken in the mirror. And then to the right of that is this smudgy blurred area that honestly could be a number of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of just looks like almost like the curl of like the edge of a mirror to me. Cause it does look distorted. Um, looks like the room is distorted, but it just kind of looks like another layer of like a graphic to me in a way. It's almost like the smudge effect on Photoshop. You ever use yeah. the smudge effect where you just kind of like push things. I would love to believe this one, and apparently there's some real experiences that people have in this house. But this one, I I, just, I can't see the monk. Like I don't, I see the image, and it's it's clouded. There does seem like there are robes here, sort of something hanging in the image. If you want to actually imagine what this is, like I can't really say it's more than a smudge either, though. For what it's worth, John Paul does say in this article that he won't force his belief on others. 
And he said, I won't say that this is a paranormal picture due to the fact that I spotted the photo and I don't like to force people into seeing what they don't see. I will leave it to the imagination at the moment. But it convinced him enough where he was, again, almost in tears. I gotta say, I don't see a robe. I need to really look at this. I, I'm trying to find something here. Oh, wait. Oh, maybe I do. Oh, that white thing down there. That's interesting. Yeah, there's something. There's some kind of, like, curtain or robe that it kind of could look like. But it's just, it's not, like, you You expect the black monk. You expect, like, actual black robes. It looks like white or maybe, like, a beige or an off-white color anyway. They should call him the beige monk. <laughs> it's just not as ominous. True. We we need to get John Paul on. John Paul Newlands from Lincolnshire needs to come on and and talk about this because the more we're unpacking here, it does seem like there's a bit of um eeriness to this uh playful poltergeist. And there's also a movie that was released. It's called When the Lights Went Out, and that is a uh, a movie that's sort of about the house. So there's definitely some documented spooky activity there. And apparently about the house, experts say that the town's gallows were at one time opposite of the house and that there was a monk that was sentenced to death for raping and murdering a young girl. And I guess it's speculated here that that could be the black monk. And in addressing the black versus white slash beige monk, the current owner, Bill Bungay, says uh, it's fascinating for several reasons. And one of the more fascinating reasons, other than the difference in color, is that he references the hood of this image being Diddy Man tall, not Cistercian monk tall. And the Diddy Men, I looked this up, fictitious dwarves created and popularized by British comedian Ken Dodd. Had you ever heard of Diddy Men? Sort of maybe reminded me of the little beings in Phantasm. <laughs> right. No, I've never heard of the Diddy Man. Uh, unless we're talking about Puff Daddy. That's what I thought it was at first. And then I was thinking, <laughs> why are they directly referencing P. Diddy? Uh, this does not look like P. Diddy at all. It doesn't seem any like there's anything paranormal about Diddy men. So either way, whether we're talking about this being a weird light refraction from the window and the sun off the mirror, or, you know, maybe this dude, John Paul, actually did capture something. It does seem to add a little bit of legitimacy that the photo was taking was taken during the day as opposed to at night. Maybe that's a little harder to mess with it if that's what John Paul there did, but I don't know. He he seems like a bit of a straight shooter, so uh, we would definitely love to uh, to invite him here on the show if he does want to talk about it, or if anyone knows John Paul Newlands from Lincolnshire across the pond, let us know. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Weird Space. Tell us in the comments. And we'll see you soon. I feel like, I feel like we ended on a on a fart. <laughs>